Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. We hope that you were able to join us last week as we considered the origin of life and the scientific evidence pertaining to it. In addition to the supremely sophisticated cellular factories going on within our bodies and the vastly complicated information processes that defy naturalistic explanation, Mr. Michael Penfold takes a further look today at the finely balanced parameters that define the very existence of our Earth and our universe. He discusses the impossibility of abiogenesis that some atheists still cling to. Though our message is a little more technical today, we feel it necessary to inform people about these facts so that they will be better equipped to assess the scientific evidence for biblical creation. God wants us to know him, and he has given us the intelligence to learn about the world that he has made. Belief in God does not hinder science, it actually motivates us to discover more about how the world works. Let's listen as Mr. Michael Penfold further discusses some of the current issues in the scientific field. Now, here's the thing. Right in the center of that nucleus is this DNA. What kind of stuff is DNA? Well, DNA is what we call complex specified information. Now if I had the whiteboard here and I was going to spell out a snowflake, you've got a certain amount of information, not very much, a bit of order, a bit of complexity, but there's a repetitive pattern up there. Not very much. Now, compare that with DNA. If I was to write DNA out as an English sentence, well let me give you the sentence that Dawkins chooses in his book The Blind Watchmaker. He chooses a sentence from Shakespeare. Methinks it is like a weasel. That DNA strand, because it's made up of four nucleotide bases which actually spell out code, but they're able to be arranged and rearranged in all kinds of combinations, and that code then is able to make 20,000 different types of proteins and so on. So right at the heart of what makes you, you, is this fantastic sentence-producing code, a high degree of complexity. You see, have you ever heard that argument about if a million monkeys were sitting at a million typewriters? You ever heard that argument? Well, we know that we can get information and DNA because if you had a million monkeys sitting at a million typewriters just typing away, they'd eventually produce the works of Shakespeare. Okay, so let's go back to Shakespeare. Methinks it is like a weasel. So we get a monkey, put him at a typewriter, we know how many letters there are, on the typewriter, we say, right, start typing. So he starts typing on this typewriter. The chance that he would type out, methinks it is like a weasel, is 1 in 10 to the power of 40. Okay, let me, let me boil it down to something more simple. Have you ever lost a password on your computer? Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> that happens to me all the time. You go back to think, oh, password. And you look in your pocket, and you look in your drawer, and you ask your wife, and you... And then you have a guess. 
Oh, was it, you know, your dog's called Rex or something. Was it Rex one, two, three, four? No, no, it's not that. <laughs> oh, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's my birthday. So you type in 25th of And then it comes up, you have one more try. <laughs> you know how incredibly difficult it is just to come up with a tiny little password. You've got to come up with me thinks it is like a weasel. You've got to come up in this DNA for three billion base pairs per cell. You say, well, so what? Yeah, but the way they're organized means that's why that ear's on that side and that ear's on that side. That, that's why your eyes work. That's why your fingers are... You see, when you get a mistake in there, that's when you get problems. You don't want to have a mistake. We have all kinds of genetic deformities and so on. We, we, we know all about that. We know what can happen. So here's the question. If this DNA is packed into every cell in your body and in animal bodies and in, and in plants and so on, where did that information come from? You see, you can't say, oh, well, natural selection. Oh, but hang on a minute. Just wait one second. Natural selection only works when there's something to select. We're going back before there was anything to select. We're going back to how did it start from dead matter? How did it start from non-living matter? We can't invoke natural selection. This is the biggest headache they've got. How do we get the thing started? You know, you get the uh, latest headlines. So the headlines is, there's a war in Syria, there's an election in America, and then, fifth item, a missing link has been found. Isn't it amazing how it gets right up to the top of the news? Half monkey, half man. Half dinosaur, half bird. Half this, half that. How did that ever get into the top of the news? And they're trying to keep this whole bandwagon going, this whole theory going. But they don't even know how it started. Maybe maybe it all got started when a protein just kind of popped up. So this guy comes along, Stanley Miller is his name. Carl Sagan called it the single most significant step in convincing many scientists that life is likely to be abundant in the cosmos. So what did he do? Well, he thought he would try and mimic the supposed early atmosphere of the Earth in a flask. So he got some, I mean, it's all guesswork. So they got some ammonia and some methane and some hydrogen and they put it in a sealed glass apparatus with boiling water in it and they passed an electrical spark through this mixture. When he strained out the results of this experiment, lo and behold, he had managed to produce some amino acids. The tiny little things which you put them in a row, that's a protein. So the, the scientific community was ecstatic. They were like, wow, this proves our theory. This is it. This proves that all you need is a bunch of chemicals in a pond, bolt of lightning, bang, you've got life. Well, not so quick. Because actually now, when you look at the uh, scientific literature, he was using the wrong materials. So modern science doesn't believe that the early Earth contains significant amounts of either ammonia or methane, or hydrogen. So he had the wrong materials. Secondly, he used the wrong methods. He had this apparatus in such a way that it trapped out the right and left-handed amino acids. He had to trap them out, because if he left them in the flask, the very spark which formed them would break them up. So he had to sort of strain them out. It was all engineered by human intelligence, which is a bit of a giveaway. So he's using the wrong materials, he's using the wrong methods. You say, well, what about the results? Yeah, but he got the wrong results too. You say, well, he got a little bit of amino, yeah, he got 2% amino acids. 
85% of what he produced was called tar, T-A-R, just black, gooey stuff. And he produced left-handed and right-handed. And he said, how can an amino acid be left-handed? What does that mean? Well, it's to do with where the hydrogen atoms are placed on the amino acid. Life only uses left-handed amino acids. He got both left-handed and right-handed. So for people that uncritically wanted to believe, they would just suck it in. But anybody that was being scientific would see it was wrong. Stanley Miller used the wrong conditions, the wrong methods, and produced the wrong results. But apart from that, it was a brilliant experiment. So if you can't build proteins... And anyway, anyway, just, just, just one second. Proteins are absolutely rubbish at reproducing themselves. They don't reproduce themselves. So even if you can produce a protein, what use is that? It can't produce itself. No, didn't we learn earlier on that it is the DNA that codes for the production of the protein? If you can't build proteins, how will you build DNA and RNA? Even if we could do that, let's say by some fantastic miracle we could produce DNA. Is that life? Let me give you a description of what life is from... Walter Bradley's book, Thermodynamics and the Origin. He says a living organism must have three things. The ability to process energy, the ability to store information, and the ability to replicate or reproduce itself. So you've got to go from something like quartz, some sort of non-living structure, to something, something that can process energy, store information, and it has to reproduce itself, or that's the end of it. Now, do you remember I mentioned to you earlier on in the earlier session about God's goodness in providing a, a perfect earth for us to live in? You see, that wasn't known way back in the days of Darwin and Haeckel and all the rest of them. They were just thinking, okay, we need this pond and we need to have a spark through it and we'll get this lovely simple lump and we're, we're done. Done and dusted. We can go home and have tea and cake. Fine, finished. It never would have entered Darwin's head that the universe has to be configured in a certain way before we can get life in this pond. That the galaxy has to be a certain type. That the solar system has to be a certain type. That the Earth has to be a certain way. So back in the 1960s, way, way, way after Darwin, they were saying, well, there's a couple, literally, like two parameters. Let me, let me give you an example. You all know because everybody seems to know this fact, that we're 93 million miles from the sun. Even though we're metric in Europe, we still say we're 93 million miles from the sun. If we were slightly closer to the sun, what would happen? The oceans would boil off, and that would be the end. If we were slightly further away from the sun, what would happen? The oceans would freeze, and that would be the end. So there's just an obvious example of the finely tuned way in which the Earth is just the right distance from the Sun. But there's not just one or two parameters. There are something like 200. There are 200 or so finely tuned parameters, including what the universe needs to be, what the galaxy needs to be, what the solar system needs to be, what the Earth needs to be. There's about 200 finely balanced parameters. Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay, the force of gravity. We all know the force of gravity. If the force of gravity was slightly weaker than it is, all the stars would be red dwarfs. If it was slightly stronger than it is, all the stars would be blue giants. In either case, no life on planet Earth. What about the atmosphere? Okay, so we're breathing God's good air, good Canadian air over here in, in this lovely country. So, oxygen. How much oxygen is there in the atmosphere? 
21%. If it was 25%, do you know what would happen to Canada? It would all burn up. The, the trees would catch fire. If it was 15%, we'd all suffocate. Isn't that amazing? Oxygen's 21%. You never think about this when you get up in the morning. If oxygen was 21%, we're fine. If it's 25%, we'd be all on fire. If it's 15%, we'd all be suffocating to death. So the force of gravity has to be just right. The distance from the sun has to be just right. The percentage of oxygen in the atmosphere has to be just right. So just imagine 200 dials. Every one of these dials is a parameter for a universe. Part of the recipe that goes to make a universe in which it's possible to have life. So one dial says on it, the gravitational constant. Another dial says the strong nuclear force. Another dial says the weak nuclear force. Another dial says the electromagnet force. Another dial says the proton-electron mass ratio. You get the idea. Here's all these knobs, all these dials. So somebody says, you're right, go and twiddle those knobs and make a universe. Oh, that sounds easy. Now, each one of the dials has hundreds of possible settings. If you get one of those dials just slightly wrong, forget it, there'll be no life. It works out that there's one chance in a hundred thousand trillion, 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 trillion that one planet will be found anywhere in the universe that supports life. What did we read in Isaiah 45 verse 18 about the creation? He created it to be inhabited. He knows exactly where to set the dials. How wise God must be. What a mind. What is it it says at the end of Romans chapter 11? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. Who has been his counsellor? Who has given to him and it shall not be recompensed? For of him and through him and to him are all things. What do the evolutionists do with that? Well, they're, they're, they're scrabbling around. Still trying to maintain that, well, some sort of replicating molecule could have just... Well, it must have happened. Dawkins says it in his book, The Blind Watchmaker. Let's just imagine there's, there's this replicating molecule. In fact, it's in his Selfish Gene book he talks about this. Let's just imagine you come home from work one day and you see the letter A on the floor. Would you assume that that letter A had been put there by accident or on purpose? So, well, one letter on the floor... It could be on there by purpose. It, it, it could be there by accident. There's not enough information for me to guess. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you've got one letter. So it could be by chance. It could be by design. You can't really... You know, the letter A is a specified letter. It means A. We know what it is. But it's not particularly complex. It's not high information content. It's one letter on the floor. So, okay. A simple blob of goo. Come back from work the next day. And on the floor, just as you see there, Spelt out is the word Scrabble, using Scrabble letters. You can understand it. It's all in a row. It makes sense. It's related to the game itself. It's actually spelling out the name of its own game. Very clever. And I say to you, do you think those letters came by accident? Or were they put there on purpose? Well, now you're really going to be tested now because you're dealing with order you're dealing with complexity, and you're dealing with specificity. That's a fancy word for saying it's spelling out something intelligent. It actually means something. It's, it's telling me something. Now, of course, I have to understand English to understand that, so that's another complication in the whole cycle. But I would think you would have to agree with me 
that to get S-C-R-A-B-B-L-E in a row on the floor by chance is impossible. No intelligent person would dream of saying that that happened by chance. So how are we going to get three billion base pairs of coded specified information in every cell of our body or even in the first cell? It is not possible. Indeed, the very idea that life can come from non-life is totally unscientific. Years ago, people believed that life just spontaneously erupted out of decaying matter. That's what everybody used to believe. Until a man came along, Louis Pasteur, 1864. That's interesting, isn't it? around about the time that Darwin was saying you can just get life. He comes along. He's suspicious about this. I'm not so sure about this. He does a very clever little experiment. It overturned centuries of wrong thinking. So the whole concept of what was known as spontaneous generation, which had been believed for centuries, collapsed through that one experiment of Louis Pasteur. So says Louis Pasteur. I have proved conclusively and absolutely spontaneous generation is unscientific. What's called abiogenesis, life coming from non-life, that's not possible. Life only comes from life. It's called biogenesis. Life only comes from life. Wow, that's interesting. Life only comes from life. So, those of you who are married here, you've had children, you know that, you've personally experienced that. Your child, you hold this new baby in your arms and it's just this great miracle and it's just unbelievable, isn't this just amazing? Look at his fingers, look at his toes, isn't this just, oh! Where did it come from? Life produced life. Those two sets of DNA got together and copied exactly. He's just like his dad. He's just like his mum. Yeah, well, he should be like both of them because he got information from both sides. And here's this exact replica. Amazing. This has been going on for centuries all over the world. What an incredible code it is. Ah, but where did the life come from in the first place? When there was no life. When the planet was barren and dead and inorganic. Where did life come from? Oh, well, there was just a sort of semi-miracle and we got life from non-life. No, 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 it's unscientific. Do you know we read in Acts chapter 17 where life comes from? In him we live and move. What does that mean? In him we move. What does that mean? In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. What an incredible verse. That verse is saying, in him we live. The principle of life comes from God. In him we move. The principle of movement comes from an active God. In him we have our being. The source of our very existence comes from God. He is living, so are we. He is intelligent, so are we. He is personal, so we ought not to think that God is like wood and stone. We are his offspring. He is a personal God. That's why we're personal beings. He made the universe perfect. He made the galaxy perfect. He made the solar system perfect. He made the planet perfect. And then what did he do? 
The Spirit of God moves on the waters. They when he said, let there be life. Day three, he said, let there be life. What a moment that was. Instant creation of DNA. Let there be life. And there was life. And on day five and day six, let the waters bring forth fish, birds, animals. And then on day six, he said, let us make man. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He turned dust into DNA. And here's this adult male lying on the ground as it were, fully formed, just like you and me, without sin, lying there, not moving, not breathing. And the God of life, the God in whom we move and live and have bent down, as it were, to that lifeless form and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Say, where did the woman come from? This just wrecks evolution completely. It wrecks theistic evolution as well. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he took from his side a rib. He said, do you really believe that? I definitely, absolutely, completely, dogmatically do believe that. He said, how can you believe that? What do you believe? What do you believe? What's your alternative? The person that wrote this book, who authored it through the vessel of the writers, was there at the time. His knowledge is perfect and he has recorded for us exactly what he did. And he made Eve from the rib of Adam. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You know the wonderful thing is this. The same God that created physical life is the same God that gives spiritual life. The same spirit of God that hovered on the face of the water is the same spirit of God who might even be moving in the meeting this afternoon. For the wind blows wherever it wants to. And we hear the sound of it, but we're not just sure where it's coming or where it's going. That's how the Spirit of God works. We know not how the Spirit moves, convicting man of sin. Revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But that's what happens as the Word of God is preached. The Spirit of God was there moving to bring life in the first place. The Spirit of God moves to give eternal life. So those who will repent of sin and believe in Christ for salvation. Truth, what did we start with? Truth finds its source in the God of truth. The universe was formed by the power of his word. We've learned this afternoon that life was created by his life-giving power. Well, what do you think? Are we here by chance and circumstance? Did life begin as a result of some cosmic accident? Can purely naturalistic processes explain the origin of life, of consciousness? It should be quite obvious, even from the points we have considered, that the answer is no. Naturalism falls far short of dealing with these issues. It's basically a kind of blind faith that somehow everything can be explained through unguided forces. We hope that you won't settle for this. Research the evidence for yourself. It's too important to leave the answers to the biases of the established scientific paradigm of reductionism and naturalism. And far too important to put off the question of your soul's salvation. The God who made you also loves you and sent his son to die for the forgiveness of sins. 
you can trust him. Trust Christ today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.